Hey everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk About Representation. I hope you enjoyed all the episodes I was able to put out in 2020, and I'm so excited for all the content and talks we'll have in 2021. So shifting gears a little bit from the relationship, marriage side of things into healthcare, which I'm really passionate about, and I'm excited to just talk about different industries and specialties and some of the trends that we see, learn more, and how we can just continue to create equitable spaces for different people from different backgrounds. So I'm so excited for this first talk of the year with two amazing speech language pathologists, and they will go ahead and introduce themselves. started. So Megan, you're first on my screen. So if you can go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us how long you've been working in the field. Sure. Um, My name is Megan Moran. I'm a speech language pathologist. Um, I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I have been practicing since 2013. I graduated from grad school in 2013. So this is going into my, we're still counting school years, my seventh school year. And then Miss Veronica. Hi, I'm Veronica Ferrier. I uh, live in Washington, D.C., and I've been practicing for 15 years now. Awesome. And can you both just talk a little bit about what led you to your careers in speech pathology? Sure. Whoever wants go to ahead, go. Megan. It's like we're at a table is having coffee with each other. <laughs> no formal. <laughs> I'll go first. <laughs> um, so I wanted to be a speech pathologist since I was in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade. Um, so kind of have been on the straight and narrow path with that. Um, I had a cousin uh, who was on the spectrum and I went with him and his mom to therapy once to drop him off. And we got to watch through um, like a one-way mirror, a two-way mirror, some kind of mirror. And I thought Mm -hmm. it was so cool. Um, And I always wanted to be either a teacher or a doctor. And it's kind of a good mix of medical and then teaching at the same time. Um, So yeah, I went into undergrad with that major and grad school and here I am. I was gonna ask you, how were you introduced to it? So I'm glad you said it was through a family member. So I'm going to get to that point a little bit later on. <laughs> but I'm glad that you said that. Uh, what about you, Veronica? So I came into the field um, for similar reasons. I thought it was a, a great balance between um, medical and teaching or, or just assisting people in general. Um very early in my college days, I thought I was pursuing pursuing a medical degree, mm-hmm. and I quickly realized that that's not really <laughs> that's not really the amount of debt nor <laughs> time. <laughs> the time just I did yeah. not have like the higher education fortitude to really see that <laughs> see that through. But I just could not shake you know, the desire to help people and then just my desire to, to learn and grasp other scientific kind of base things and meld the two together. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up uh, falling into it. It piqued my interest because my best friend's mother was um, a speech pathologist turn principal, turn administrator, turn like school district (laughs) guru person. (laughs) Um, And to kind of see that, um, see her go from speech pathologist, what is a speech pathologist? And then taking that dive and then see her do so many other things Mm -hmm. around that made, made it very interesting as well. I love that. It's kind of funny. I started off college as a biology major. So I wanted to be a pediatrician really bad because I love kids. And I also quickly realized that was in the path after like a year of really hard chemistry. And I said, this is not the thing for me. And then now that I work in higher education, so many of my kiddos want to go into medicine to help people. 
and we're mm-hmm. always like there are so many other ways to help you without being like an md doctor yes so i am glad that you both um mentioned that it's a good mix of the education side and also that medical side um and just for people who might not know exactly what it is can you talk a little bit about what speech therapy is um gosh i mean megan do you do you have thoughts first you can go go ahead I mean what popped in my brain is to like first like what we're not right like (laughs) we are not um teachers we're we're not in in that in that seat in that role as air quoting teachers in that way we are not the class we are we are not synonymous with a classroom teacher in that way we do so many things that that overlap but I think a classroom teacher in what most people know that person to be they have so much on their plates and they are and should be so revered and super qualified in very specific things in instruction to children We, as speech pathologists, I like to think of us as as like really big cheerleaders for them, but we have a very skilled set of practices and a very skilled um, set of just a, a, a totally different toolbox that we're working with and working from. Um, so we're talking about oral communication with a O, and then there's oral communication, A-U-R-A-L. It goes into articulation, it spills into fluency, it spills into so many areas of communication that, yeah, has to get done in the classroom, but it also has to get done and and really flushed out well for some people in all sorts of communities and environments. So we're kind of like, I, I mean, you know, I'm biased. I think we're rock stars. <laughs> yeah, you guys are. I absolutely agree with that. I think it's also important to know that we're not just in the schools. Um, mm. Veronica and I do work for the same company. Um, I told them we would not say the name of the company just in case yeah. they didn't want that. But yeah. um, and we actually are both teletherapists. So even Prior to COVID-19, there was teletherapy. (laughs) There were Zoom therapy sessions before that was the norm. A lot of speech pathologists have been kind of thrust into that in 2020 and 2021 and God knows how much longer. But um, we, we do that for people that don't have the access to speech therapists, whether it's, you know, um, a school district that's just needs a lot of help um, and there's not enough in that area or more remote areas. So, um, and then also speech pathologists can work in private clinics. I've worked in outpatient clinics, skilled nursing. Veronica, I don't know what your background is prior to this, but um, it's just, it's a lot more than just, you know, people think of us as the speech teacher, like Veronica Mm -hmm. said, in elementary schools and there's, you know, there's specialists with swallowing disorders and mm-hmm. head and neck cancer. That is very out of my realm, but it is technically yeah. within our scope of practice. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people just think, oh, you fix kids R sounds or your whole caseload, they're all autistic. Well, no, it's, I mean, it's a bunch of things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I like how Veronica said what we're not and that we're so much more than what people think because I think people try to just limit it to articulation you just fix certain sounds what do you all think contributes to that because when I think about speech therapy so I'm familiar with it because of my brother who does have maybe on the spectrum so like it does fall into that and I remember having therapists come into our home doing therapies with him when we were younger Um, And then he would go to some clinics too. So I think for, you know, those of us that have been exposed to it from a more personal standpoint, we know that there's more components to it. Um, In my last job, I worked for the Aging Research Center for the High School of Medicine. And there were some that worked with the geriatric population um, that may have had strokes and things like that too. So there are different like realms to it, but what do you think contributes to people thinking that it's only working with kids on like the R sound? Like, is it representation on TV or what do you think contributes to that? 
Um, I don't think it's representation on TV because I feel it's like we're rarely on TV. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes on The Bachelor, there'll be like a random speech therapist. But other than yeah. that, we're not really on there. I think it's probably- That was like two more. seasons ago, wasn't it? I yeah. remember that, Megan. <laughs> um, but I think it's because unless people do have a personal experience with like their grandma with dementia or mm-hmm. Alzheimer's and then she had a speech therapist or a brother on the spectrum or something like that, like the average layperson, the only time they ever really see them is when they were in elementary school. And the speech teacher would come to the classroom, come grab a couple kids, and that was it. So I think that's probably what it, I mean, that's all I knew it was when I was little. And had I not kind of been pushed into it, I don't know, uh, not pushed into it, but (laughs) led down that career path. (laughs) Um, I don't know that I would be super familiar with it either because it's just kind of another person in the school that only sees some kids and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with Megan. It's kind of like an exposure thing. Like if you haven't had a direct experience or exposure to SLPs, it's easy to fall into, you know, the the easy knowings of what we do. Like, oh, you like like Megan was saying, you fix the R's, you fix the S's. Mm -hmm. Um, My friend, my friend stutters. Can you take a look at them? That that kind of (laughs) that that kind (laughs) of thing. Right. <laughs> I mean, and and I the, always, the other. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say the other thing is is that um, you know sometimes parents are not they're not quite equipped the mm-hmm. way the way that we would like them to be. They're not they're not equipped with the knowledge, the tools of all the possibilities of what a speech pathologist can and do bring. Mm-hmm. Um, so they bring their own, you know thoughts or ideas about what it is um which sometimes works to the advantage but can also be a disadvantage yeah and I think um I mean I always say to like some of my older kids on my caseload you know the goal is for you to not need me Mm -hmm. so you know I'm doing my job right if you get dismissed from therapy so I mean the goal I mean on one side you want people to know what we do so that parents of young kids can get early intervention to help and know the warning signs of a speech delay. But on the other side, you know, we want, like, we don't want people to be in speech therapy. Um, You know, it's not like we're like, hey, come check us out. Um, We're here for you if you need us, but the goal is that you don't need us. Yeah. So you just want people to know that it's a resource that's available to them Mm -hmm. if they were to need you. Um, so the whole point of the podcast and why I started it was really to talk about different areas and just really what that representation looks like, what's missing and things like that. And so in this area, so you both work with school age children. So with that, do parents opt into their children being able to come see you all for a session or like, how does that work? Does that make sense? Like, did their parents sign a waiver to say, I want my kids to have speech therapists? Or does like a teacher say, yeah, I think you should go see a speech at all. Um, Veronica, do you want to go? Do you want me to go? <laughs> if it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, well, what I think you're asking um, <clears throat> is like how, how it gets started. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, Julie? basically so like starting. Because I'm trying to, I have a follow-up question about as far as like, di- well, I guess it depends on your proximity and what locations you work in, but the diversity mm-hmm. of the students that you see. And I'm just mm-hmm. curious to know the disparities in that. Like when my brother would go to therapy, he would be the only little brown thing in, in there. Mm-hmm. Um, we were out in Dyer, Indiana. And, mm-hmm. you know, we like, it was odd. Like we noticed that it was a difference. Um, amongst the people that were taking advantage of going to therapy and it was a private place but still so I'm just wondering yes so my question I guess Um, is how does it start um, at the school based level um, receiving speech therapy in the schools involves um, a team of people so it's not exclusively the speech pathologist decision to start giving therapy to a student it would be it would involve his 
his or her regular classroom teachers, if they're already getting special education from a special ed teacher, there's administrators involved, there's other disciplines involved um, that kind of come together and say yay or nay on do we think this student would benefit from a speech evaluation or some sort of intervention um, because we're suspecting um, there, there could be some speech delays or, or speech issues there. Okay. So there's a bit of a tiered process in most school districts. Um, I don't know of any school district, Megan, you know of any, I don't know of anywhere like the, the SLP, the speech pathologist would have like complete autonomy that, I, that sounds kind of illegal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a school. pretty tiered process. Okay. Yeah. It is a little bit different. I've worked um, contract for private and charter schools. And so the parents have, uh, I mean, the parents always have say, but in a private setting, they aren't as ruled by the state, um, like educational speech guidelines. Sure. So there's just a couple fewer hoops to jump through with private and charter schools. And then I worked at an outpatient pediatric clinic for years. And how it works with that is if you have suspicion of your child having a speech or language delay um, or some kind of communication issue, you go to your doctor to get a prescription for an evaluation. Okay. And then they would come to the clinic with that. That saying if it's through insurance and all of that, if they're private pay, um, some clinics you can just walk in and you can pay for an evaluation and then um, that's kind of what that pathologist part of speech language pathologist is we're kind of diagnosing is there an issue is there a need for therapy um, and stuff like that and then as far as the representation and diversity I am the stereotypical speech pathologist it's typically young white girls um, and in my grad school, I had a huge grad school class of over a hundred, which is rare. Yeah. And I was in Texas, so it was a little bit better represented with um, Hispanic women. I don't think there was an African-American woman. There were two guys, I think. So it's very female um, driven. And the majority, I can't remember the statistic. I don't know, Veronica, if you know, but I think it's 92% white. Um, as and far as clinicians? Not, mm -hmm. Yes, for okay. pathologists. And then patients, it could be anyone. Um, it probably, if I had to guess nationwide, would be more um, white kids and that's both because of the population mm -hmm. and just access to healthcare access um sure just throughout different states and stuff like that but um yeah when you were asking about <laughs> kind of the stereotype or the racial makeup of speech therapists the majority is is white girls <laughs> white women <laughs> Okay. So, <laughs> here I am. Okay. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I have both of you on here, though, just for some representation um, from different racial backgrounds. I will say, like, Brandon, my brother, um, he went through, like, a few of them. But one of, like, our favorites was an African-American woman. Um, she was a little bit older. Um, but she was great. Oh, my gosh. She was so, so, so good with him. And then she um, she passed away, unfortunately. But, like she was hmm. wonderful with him. But then, yeah, I think from then on, the rest of the ones that we had, I think, were white women. One of them actually I knew from like elementary school. <laughs> it was like really crazy. We like circled back around to her. But we went. Well, Megan, you're from up north. It was in Dyer. Um, I can't think of what it's called now, but it was We Care up hmm. in like the Dyer St. John area. Um, but yeah when we would go, like I said, he was the only little little black thing running around in there. <laughs> and like none of the therapists resembled our family either. So why do you think that is? Why is there such a draw to this field for young white women, you think? Um, I mean, I think it's a 
it's drawn to women because it's a helping profession and mm-hmm. I think there's just naturally helpers. Um, and then as far as the white women, <laughs> I don't know. Um, again, probably, I mean, and it's changing and it, the diversity is increasing, which is great. Yeah. But um, probably throughout history, it was just access to higher education. Um, and kind of just how that trickles down to everything. Yeah. Veronica, I don't know if you have I more think, to say on that. Um, well, what I was thinking about was um, really about how the how the pool looks different regionally. Mm-hmm. Um, the picture you get from, you know, the, the Midwest is so different than the picture you're going to see um, in South Florida, um, even in the D.C. metro area. It is so densely populated with a diverse um, landscape. Um, I will say being being a therapist here in the DC metro area is probably the most diverse group of speech pathologists that I've worked in in, in my 15 years thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've covered a lot of um, settings as well. I've I've done uh, geriatric, acute care, school based, all uh, private practice in a couple of different regions of the country, west and east. And between, there is a big difference between the patients and or students and the actual clinicians. I think that statistic is pretty dead on, Megan. It is definitely saturated um, Mm -hmm. with white women. Um, But I do see, I think the last ASHA convention I went to uh, was in Philadelphia. I think that was the last one I went to a couple years back. And I distinctly noted, I was like, wow, look at the black eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they, it, it is becoming more and more diverse. It is still an imbalance. But I do think there is something to be said when it's, I'll just speak in terms of the region that I live in now, in terms of the DC metro area, mm-hmm. where 80 plus percent of the caseload are non white children, mm-hmm. and they get to see a therapist that looks like them. Yeah. There, there, is, there is something to that, there is value there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, hope that the National Black Association of Speech-Language Pathologists um, continue their good work in introducing our field to all sorts of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because representation does matter. There is there there is buy-in from families. There is buy-in from students. Um, it's a critical piece that I, that I think um, has been missing for a while, but it's nice to see the, the tide start to turn there. I love mm-hmm. that. And I definitely, I would imagine it's probably similar like in an Atlanta area where it is more populated by people of color, um, where you see more therapists or just clinicians in general in those professions that you're not used to seeing much representation in, that it's a little bit greater in areas like that. What are some things that you ladies think that you could, not maybe you, but like people could do um, to get people interested earlier in college so how do we reach those students of color you know that freshman year or going into college to even consider this as a field that's a good um, question go ahead megan i um with our company we uh sponsored with the national say the organization national black oh yes national black speech Language Pathology Association. I think yeah. I said, I think I got my letters right. I know. It's I always said, like, do they include hearing? Do they not? Speech, language, and hearing? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, the, it's like the college association um, mm-hmm. of national, you know, speech pathologists to be. So um, our company sponsored some scholarships. Um, and it wasn't, I think it's basically just non-white students are able to join that association. Um, They weren't all African-American, but um, just to kind of increase 
the access and so we awarded three different scholarships and I was actually on the scholarship like committee to choose it um, and there were so many young people that applied and that are doing so much at the college level that I mean I know I wasn't doing for I mean for diversity or just how involved they are in general like I was just yeah. busy going to school and hanging out with people after my classes so um but in just different organizations that they had started on their own and to reach high schoolers so I mean I think that was really kind of encouraging that it's that it is happening more at the college level um and like Veronica said, I think the part of the country that you're in mm -hmm. also helps. Uh, Jaleesa and I are both in Indiana. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. very white. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Indianapolis is a little more diverse. We're both in Indianapolis, but mm -hmm. um, it's nothing like the district that uh, Veronica and I both work in, in the DC area. Um, I have 0% white on my caseload. Um, and that's great, but yeah, they don't see a therapist that looks like them. So, um, and in terms of that, I mean, there's nothing I can do for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am white, but uh, I've, I've really worked hard on kind of taking classes and continuing education about representation and making my therapy materials yeah. look more like them. Um, there was a great continuing education. I don't know, Veronica, did you take it this summer with SLP Summit? Do you ever do that? No, no, I did not. Maybe because I, I just joined on in the fall. <laughs> uh, no, 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 not with our company. Just there's there's a, like a conference online that's held twice a year called SLP Summit. It's actually happening right now. It's like the winter one. But uh -huh. they had a class in the summer that was... I think it was called Representation Matters. And it was a black speech pathologist and she was just talking about, you know, you should diversify your therapy materials, your books, um, mm -hmm. so that the students can see themselves more in what you're working on. Yeah. Um, and so I've done that a lot more this year, um, knowing that I would be, I mean, I could do it regardless of my caseload, but um, knowing I was going into the DC area where it was gonna be a lot more diverse mm -hmm. especially important for me. So yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there are things that white speech pathologists can do to you know, help their patients or students see themselves more in therapy if it's not in with the therapist themselves, sure. um, at least with, with the materials. Yeah, it's a great point. Anything to add to that, um, Veronica, about early recruiting or just how to gauge a little bit more interest, even like just in males too. Like, how do you get yeah. the guys interested in this? That's one a, of the that's a one of question. the scholarships was for a guy. Was it awesome? Yeah, awesome. it was. Um, I think it was a black guy. Yeah. Nice. And we were like, "Whoa, look at him! He's got all the <laughs> <laughs> all the minorities." So. I yeah, it's not. It's not popular with guys. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it's not. It's not a, a very manly. I guess <laughs> like, it's not a very manly job if there's such a thing. Um, so I would. I would love that. Um, I really, really, really think the more outreach um, a company can do. Um, to present themselves, to get themselves in front of young people who are trying to figure out a particular career path. The more of that, the better. Sure. Um, the more you can present those kinds or create those kinds of situations or experiences, um, even out, off of campuses. Yes, yes, campuses. But there are also young people who are who are doing these gap years, who are mm -hmm. doing other. Uh, other kind of vocational tracks or other kind of programming because they haven't quite figured it out yet. So the more we can kind of tap into where the young people are on their like journey on their path and kind of wiggle ourselves in front to say, hey, have you ever thought about? I think that the more of that, the better. Um, it does get a little tricky, I think, for the guys. Um, 
and not that they couldn't be sold because I'm with you, Megan. I think I graduated with two guys in my graduating class. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I can th- I, two guys. Yeah, <laughs> it was two. It was two men. One a uh, one white guy and one Latino guy. And to see a Latino guy, that's even more rare. That's like looking at a unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, bilingual therapists in general. Are unicorns. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Very much so coveted. Um, Because the fact of the matter is caseloads are boy heavy. They're they're, they're, they're boy loaded. Like Mm -hmm. statistically, we're going to always have more boys receiving services than girls um and to again be in front of someone who looks more like you is it's gonna mean something it's going to mean something there's there bromance is a real thing (laughs) i (laughs) i have seen guy slps in action Mm-hmm. And with with a boy, with with a group of boys, even, mm-hmm. and that dynamic is very special. It mm-hmm. it's it is it, they bring a whole nother energy to each other. Um, that's just different, and and not yeah. to say that that it's a must because clearly we we get much success with with our women driven uh, numbers that we have right now in the field, but who knows what it could be if we got more men involved, you know? Yeah, I love that. I mean, and, oh, go ahead, Megan. I was gonna say, I think that's with a lot of fields and like you both said, it's a helping field, especially with kids. And so uh, my pastor and his wife just celebrated their son graduating from college with his degree in education with a, was a special ed focus. Um, and I think he was like pushing against it initially, but she was like, you love being in the classroom, you love working with special needs kids, so why not go into that field? And it took some convincing from his parents to say, oh, I actually did enjoy that, so maybe I should consider that for a you know, career field. So I do wonder how much of like family influence maybe help kind of instill like, oh, you really like light up when you do that, or you really enjoy when you do that, so maybe consider this, this, or that. But it was kind of cool seeing that because he is like a young black male himself going into that area. And you don't see that many black male special ed teachers either. So um, I'm excited for him to go ahead and journey into that role. What were you going to say, Megan? I was just going to say, um, in my grad school program, there were also um, women, of course women, but that kind of chose it as like a second career or like they were a little bit of an older student, but they didn't really know what they wanted to do. And then they found that. So I also don't, I think it's not like you have to decide when you're 18 for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, There were tons of girls in my grad school who had their undergrad degrees, not in speech, Mm -hmm. um, in education, in psychology, in pre-med. And then they decided, "Eh, I don't want to do pre-med. I even Mm -hmm. had one of my close friends was an interior design undergrad. Wow. So absolutely nothing to do with it, which that seems like a huge investment to me to do grad school and not really know if you like speech, but it worked out. She's still a speech pathologist. But um, so I think that too, you know, and it could be that you have a child that has special needs and then you find out about it and then, oh, you know, you want to go back to school to do this. Um, So I think it's nice that you don't have to have the prerequisite of the bachelor's degree. I think they had to take maybe a couple classes to catch up, but, yeah, there were people kind of from all all walks of life find, finally finding them. Do you have to have a master's then to practice? Okay. Yes. Now you, you do, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think back in the day you didn't, and then, mm-hmm. yeah, now you do. Okay. Um, and then you have to do a clinical fellowship here as well. Yeah. Um, I always love, I don't know why, I love to watch TV. So I do always bring it in <laughs> and like saying, where do you see yourself represented like on screen or anything or like in books? Um, is that just non-existent other than The Bachelor two seasons ago? <laughs> like, have there ever been like any movies you can think of or TV shows that really ever have highlighted your fields? There has, Megan. I'm trying to think. I, I have yeah. seen it. I'm just trying to think of what it was. 
Um, I know ton. that there's a book. Have you ever seen the movie or read the book Still Alice? Yes. Um, it's a movie with Julianne Moore, mm-hmm. and she has all like early onset Alzheimer's. Um, mm-hmm. That the person who writes those books is a neurophysicist, I think. Okay. Um, so all of her books have some type of like neuro disorder. Um, and so there was another book she wrote called Left Neglected. Okay. And it talks about left neglect, which is a right hemisphere stroke. Um, so not as common as like the typical stroke that you see. But that book was like one of the main characters was an occupational therapist. So not a speech therapist, but kind of a related field. Another um, ally. A lot of times we co-treat with OT. Mm-hmm. So that was cool to see, but I'm trying to think if there's a speech. The two, for some reason, I'm thinking of two. Um, it's so odd that this one popped in my head. I don't know if you guys uh, heard the movie Mr. Holland's Opus. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Okay, you remember the the how they discovered the little boy was deaf? Uh, I don't remember um, the name of it, but like I don't know if I've actually. I've, yeah, I've same. I think it. I like maybe watch part of it so tell us yeah well okay there was a there was a small representation there because there was a i think there's a scene in there where they like take him to to speech therapy or it it, they didn't spell it out which kind of therapist it was but it was like they clearly took him to get um hearing test and something else and Uh then in creed 2 You know, his uh, Tessa Thompson was deaf, hard of hearing in Creed 2, and they had a baby, and the scene had me bawling when they when she had the baby, and he was crying when they determined that the baby, too, was deaf. And then, like, flash forward, there's, like, scenes of them happily ever after, and the baby's got hearing aids and Zen speech therapy, and mm. it's... So those are the only two movies that are like jumping out at me that like yeah. slightly right. represent us. <laughs> well, and I'm thinking I remember watching in grad school we had to watch the King's Speech. I was gonna say that because oh he's a yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah, yep, sure did, sure did. But that was you know obviously based on a long time ago and like outdated fluency techniques and stuff. Yeah, and I remember watching it and just thinking like. Oh, it was kind of ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, I uh, just thought about recently. I haven't finished it yet, but the new show um, on Netflix, Bridgerton, Bridge Bridgerton, mm-hmm. the Shonda Rhimes show. I don't know if y'all have watched it yet. And I've heard of it, but I haven't seen anything. Semi spoiler yeah. alert, but not like major. So people, you know, listen at your own risk. But there's this <laughs> little boy on there, super cute, um, who has a stutter, and it's pretty bad and you know his dad like kind of disowns him it's set back in like i don't know not this current century or decade or anything yeah it's like 17th has... century or something <laughs> yeah it? it's like it's way back there um but he has a stutter and then his mom takes him to this woman who says she'll help him and he's like the main black character that if you've seen any of the promos for it like yeah the mm-hmm. guy, it's him as a kid that had a speech stutter and now he doesn't but she's not yeah. like a speech therapist but she's someone that helps him with his speech and she may have been a teacher so i think that's kind of where maybe like you know when you all are saying that people think you're kind of a teacher but you're really not you know in a way that it kind of comes from yeah. some of that like misrepresentation well, that's, what always, that's what i always thought with like uh who is the lady that was with helen keller like Anne. Oh, uh huh. Yeah. Anne Sullivan. Like that sounds right. Is that her name? Anne Sullivan, maybe. I um, think so. she was just like her teacher, but I mean, if you think of it, she was probably doing some speech therapy type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I w- I just thought of that show on Netflix called Atypical. Oh, um, that's show. about a boy on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's like speech therapy scenes per se, but. So I think there is increased, like, um, representation of people needing speech or that get speech in shows, but maybe we're just kind of... Badass. No, no. Unsung heroes. No, just kidding. (laughs) 
But you really are though, because I feel like it's one of those professions that people don't know all the work that you all do. And so they see the end result, but they don't know all that went into it on the front end that you do behind the scenes and what these kids and, you know, adults are doing. And so, you know, in your perfect world, or, you know, in the future, what are some of the things that you would like to see happen in your field or, you know, representation wise or just in general, like what are some things that you think could really help benefit you all to really just showcase the talent that you all have, but then also to just continue to help people who need therapy moving forward? That was a really long loaded question, sorry. It's <laughs> okay. I'm thinking about, um, I would really love to see more people collaborate more or embrace the opportunity that, you know, what collaboration really means and what that could bring about. All of the possibilities when you really are collaborating with people. Um, Sometimes I think it's a comfort zone thing for everybody, even as the SLP to let me do my thing and just present this to you guys and we'll work it out together or not because I've already got in my mind <laughs> this yeah. is this is what the plan is going to be um, but I think there's some missed opportunities there sometimes to collaborate even deeper with other stakeholders such as the the family the parents who what what really is the crux of the matter here at home or at school. Let's dive deeper into that, figure that out together. Um, Because my plan in my brain looks wonderful in theory, right? And then you put things into practice when other people are involved and maybe maybe that idea wasn't the best. Um, And then of course, I would love to see more guys of color. Like the future, we've got to change the landscape. I've been on both sides where I could tell that I was the first black lady that this white child has seen. And then I've also been in a situation where it was the opposite. So we've got to like normalize, create some sense of normalcy um, for the people that we're serving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then just in the world of teletherapy right now, it's really popular or necessary because of COVID. But um, I think just in the future, accepting that it's not, oh, we have to do teletherapy. Like we get to do teletherapy. Um, Mm. It's just as effective Mm. as, you know, doing it in person. Um, A lot of people are like, there's no way it could be. And when I started doing teletherapy, I was nervous and it is the same old, same old. It's just kind of making everything digital. Um, And then, So one of the legislation or whatever that they're going through right now is, so the current rule or law for our license is you have to be licensed in the state that you live in and the state that you service. So I am allowed to practice in Indiana. I have a license in Missouri. That was the school, I was in a school district in Missouri last year and then Maryland for the DC schools. Um, And they're trying to work to get it so that because we're also, we're also nationally licensed. So to get it that we can see anyone in the country and that will just, you know, all the kids in the school districts that, you know, they don't have access to a speech pathologist. Yeah. Um, our company started up in Alaska because there were so few speech pathologists and because we're limited by that licensing and you know, you don't want to go and get 50 licenses for every state. Um, having that national license, hopefully that's coming down the line. Um, and that'll be that good. Would be great. Sure. That'd be awesome. That would be great. Cause I feel like I do have 50 licenses. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a pain to get a license. It's not just like apply to get a license. You have to get fingerprints. It is not a driver's license experience. <laughs> Picture, imagine your worst experience with getting a driver's license, like your worst DMV experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like a hundred times worse to get your license for this somewhere yeah. else. <laughs> well, and I'm getting married this year and I'm like, I, and I'm planning on taking his last name, but I'm like, man, professionally, I think I just want to keep it the same because I don't want to have to do all the licensure paperwork. 
Megan, yeah. I'm telling so. you now, as an SLP, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. <laughs> as an SLP who started as Veronica the Speechy, Veronica Bride. No, it's not her lame anymore. It it is it is a thing. It is a thing. But you yeah. but 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 it's very doable. Just pack your patience. <laughs> yeah. It just it, it always seems so silly when they have to verify it and take it to the board meetings and everything when we have a national license. Like go to the national thing, we're good to go. Right. So right. anyway, right. so hopefully that will have We'll begun. talk offline. Don't lose that marriage <laughs> license. You're gonna need it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that whole name change thing, I can't even. <laughs> I don't have that many licenses for anything, but I'm still like, it's a lot of paperwork just to change yeah. everything. Um, and so my last question is for parents who are a little skeptical or don't really know if they should, um, and I, don't, I don't know why I'm focusing so heavy on kids right now, maybe because that's the <laughs> You both work it. But for anyone that's a little bit skeptical about services, what are some um, just words of advice or encouragement that you would give them to just go ahead and give it a shot, whether it's for their kid or their elderly, you know, grandparent or parent, just things to kind of say, you know what, it's okay. Like it has so many benefits in the end. Um, I mean, I think just trusting your gut um, and knowing, you know, a parent is the best expert on their child. Um, and then also, I mean, you don't want to go into the land of Dr. Google or speech therapy Google, <laughs> but I mean, there are resources online to check out developmental norms. Child behind, is this a delay? Is this a disorder? Is this something bigger going on? Is there a family history? Um, you know, there's a familial link that um and just trusting your gut and you know if it's a concern with school or at a clinic or whatever the, the worst that can happen is you get an evaluation and they say nope you're good to go and i have definitely done those evaluations tons at the clinic yeah. where you know because that kind of comes more from a parent request than a teacher and then i say you know they're good to go right now they're on target with where they need to be let me know in six months if there's no more progress and then come back in. But um, yeah, there's no harm in getting an evaluation. Yeah. So I would say take it to us and we're the experts on it. So yeah. uh, we can make the call with you. For sure. I agree with Megan. She, I agree. It's like my feelings are spot on with hers. I always tell parents to trust your gut. Like you, mm -hmm. you know your baby better than any of us could ever mm -hmm. and the other thing is speech therapy will never kill you it, <laughs> it it's not a death sentence there's no risk of like me accidentally cutting an artery it's not that so you know worst worst case okay we had a speech evaluation today <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the that's the absolute worst thing I, I I think that's kind of my go-to as well like I just try to empower families that you actually know more than what you're giving yourself credit for and and you are your child's best advocate mm -hmm. um it's very intimidating I think for families sometimes to have conversations with the pediatricians mm -hmm. um I've, I've had the same conversation so many times with with parents or caregivers they're like you know I've, I've been bringing this up at the at the one-year checkup and then I was saying the same thing at the two-year checkup and then at the three-year checkup and it's like listen you went that long don't beat yourself up about it I'm glad you're here now but please trust your gut yeah. and you and you ask the hard questions there's nothing wrong if anybody worth their license or worth their salt will not have a problem with questions. They're not gonna be offended because you asked some hard questions. Sure. And I think on the flip side of that with, you know, people from different cultures where they don't want to um, acknowledge that there's anything mm -hmm. you know, in quotes wrong with their child or, mm -hmm. you know, behind the typical development. Again, if an evaluation is prescribed or, you know, recommended, then, you know, 
speech therapists have that kind of finesse with parents to kind of bring the hard news and the truth without it being, you know, we've got good bedside manner. (laughs) So, um, and then they can take that information and do what they want with it. You know, I've had people who are resistant to it. They listened to what I had to say, my recommendations. They didn't come back for therapy because they didn't agree with it. Or, you know, they initially didn't want to come to therapy. And then a couple months later, they're still they not progressing. They call me up and, okay, I think we're ready. And mm. great, come on in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it takes within, you know, a family structure and then within their culture mm-hmm. to accept that. But, um, we're ready to help you. Yeah, for sure. That's really good. Well, thank you both so much for having on. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I definitely want to bring attention to it. Um, I do have other questions, but my do that we would talk for another like 30 minutes. So I'll just stop it. <laughs> I'll stop it here. Um, <laughs> but I really appreciate both of you and the work that you do. And um, I think it was Veronica that called you all unsung heroes. And I think that's very accurate. And so (laughs) I do hope that the climate changes and just the way that you all are perceived changes and that people just really get a true sense of the work that you do and how um, just beneficial it is to all of us as a whole. I mean, we communicate every single day on some level. And so it's such a critical part of how we just grow as people and so we couldn't do it without people in your profession so just thank you both for years both of you for doing this in your time and um just doing the fighting the good fight (laughs) thank you for that we do get very little thank you so thank you for saying that (laughs) and you know it's so i think so many fields do and it's just you know i always think about different things that we take for granted and like speech is one of them because some people just can't verbally talk and like you know I, I don't take it for granted that I can't yeah. exactly and so for the people mm-hmm. who can't that have someone helping them it was like why like thank them for that you know I don't know but I appreciate you I see you guys um and I think it's a beautiful area of work I saw my brother make progress in it um so I know it can work wonders so it does not go unnoticed, even if you're maybe not getting all the thank yous <laughs> that you all deserve. Um, but if you guys well, have any men, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Do you have any men that you all know those four from school <laughs> that you might know? <laughs> I'd love to have a guy come on to you and talk about this. So if you remember their names, it's but so few of them. <laughs> Let me know. Man. I'm trying to think, yeah. <laughs> Might have to look on Instagram or something. Yeah, I was I gonna say, you that. know anybody? <laughs> I'll do some digging. For a podcast about representation, I've not had one guy on here yet, and so I'm really slack <laughs> on my own. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on my own thing. I'm gonna get a man out here there. soon. <laughs> there's a lot of men out there, not in this field, but there's well, a lot. Well, yeah, not just speech, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have, your, have your fiance on. I'm sure he'd love to chat with you. Oh, I know. I want him on here for one of the education episodes. Um, since, yeah, I'm Black men in education is also mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a rare thing sometimes to you. So I'm just getting ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it. thank you guys so, so, so much. And I will be back soon with a new episode on something else in the healthcare field. But thank you for tuning in.